Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Our reading this morning is out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The series that we are entering into as we begin the year is meant to consider the conversation of identity. We talked about it last week, that in many ways it feels like it has been commandeered as a modern conversation, but we would like to advocate for the idea that it is simply a human one. Our identity is something that we long to know, to engage in, to have it become something that we are identified with, but also able to live out of. Many Titles and labels are placed upon the idea of identity. But when we look at the biblical story, when we consider what it is to be a follower of Jesus, God longs for you to have an identity that is more than what you do, more than what people say, and more than what you have. God longs for his, your identity to be found in him. And that's, that's a grand idea for many of us. Because what we do, what we have, what people say is the, is the here and now. It's the, what we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. So identity can be a, a difficult thing to actually grab hold of and incorporate into our everyday lives. So last week we asked that question of who am I? When I look at the, the text, when I live my life, when, when I consider my relationship with Jesus, who am I? And the Bible responds profoundly and succinctly that you are a child of God. That out of that place of being adopted into the reality of our childness before God, we are able to live a life that is not based out of fear, but out of contentment and rest and hopefully purpose. And that brings us to what we're talking about today. If week one we're talking about who am I, we're asking week two, what is my purpose? When we look at our everyday lives, one of the consistent pieces that makes us perhaps slightly uncomfortable is the idea of change. Change hits us all in, in different ways. Uh, I, I remember 
When I first moved out of my parents' place and got a, a house with some friends, you're, you're excited about the idea of like independence. You're excited about the idea of, of new possibilities of how you all are going like, to live together and, and do different things and it's going to be a ton of fun. And then the reality of change in your everyday existence kind of hits you harder, perhaps me harder than most. Uh, I have been graciously be, been given a mother who has taken care of many things in my life. And the minute I moved out, there was a lot of things I loved and a lot of things I realized I didn't want to change. I, I wanted to have the, the proximity to my parents so that perhaps if I needed an extra meal, I could go home. Perhaps if I wasn't feeling up to doing laundry, I could pop home and toss in with mom and dad. And, and mom is so gracious to take care of me. There's things in the midst of change that you're really excited about. And things in the midst of change where you're like, I don't want to do that. We're all guilty of it. We like the idea of change when change lines, change lines up with our ideas. But we all know that change is not a, a singular linear idea. Change is varied and includes a wide variety of pieces that we often don't expect. Psychotherapist and Nobel Prize winner Ross Ellenhorn focuses much of his work around the idea of change. He states that most of us are inclined to entropy. We can change, but we'd rather not be bothered. And staying the same protects us from the unknown. But here's the thing. Change can feel threatening. It disrupts our familiar routines and thrusts us into unknown territory. And when change occurs, what actually takes place at a deeper level is that it feels as if our sense of identity, the way we think about ourselves, is actually under attack. But I want us to remember as we talk this morning, change is not the enemy, but it's an ally that pushes us towards growth. So with that thought accompanying us in our journey this morning, I want, to, I want to be clear. In our identity in Christ, in our identity as a child of God who lives in this adoptive reality that follows Jesus, if you see anybody that follows Jesus, what's the guarantee? change. To follow Jesus is not to stay the same. To follow Jesus is to experience transformation from the inside out. We have, we have sanitized the idea of following Jesus to a set of principles and practices that I can adopt and incorporate into my everyday life as if it will just continue the way it is when in reality to follow Jesus is to have your very being disrupted and brought back to the way that you were originally designed. You have to expect change if you're going to follow Jesus. And if you don't expect it, it will certainly still come. That's the thing with change. Even when we don't see it coming, it still does. One of the things that can help us move towards change in an honest, open manner is to understand purpose behind it. Anecdotally, when it comes to change, there's, there's a number of barriers that we can face. We don't have to look too far to see bank accounts littered with 
annual gym fees to see the many times in which we have tried to move towards change, run into a barrier, and continue to pay for it all year long while we don't actually take advantage of the change that we had paid for. It's, it's hard, but to have purpose behind it that's beyond self-actualization, that's beyond good intention, is what we are designed to actually discover. Often, when we are presented with avenues to, to change or practices around it, it can either feel really overwhelming or it can feel inspiring. It's often based on the season of life that we have. We can hear really good ideas, we can feel prompts, a forward momentum, and yet we can run into this continuous problem of the season not actually creating space for it. We're exhausted and we don't, we don't change. Or maybe we're really enthusiastic about it and we change for a bit and then we don't actually follow through on it later. Here's the thing, we can't let our enthusiasm or our exhaustion be the driving force of our decision-making. When that becomes the case, then we're not making a decision out of identity, we're making it out of circumstance. And I don't know about you, but when I have found myself doing that, my decision-making is short-term, it's short-sighted, it's flawed, it's, it's, it's self-serving. And it's not what God wants for us. We need purpose in the midst of our lives. And we most certainly need purpose in the midst of change. The foundation of change in the midst of our identity in Christ. I heard N.T. Wright talk about this. And it's a simple idea. But it's that I, I am loved, therefore I am. And this is important for us to see the distinction that Jesus says it this way rather than I love, therefore I am. It's I am loved, therefore I am, rather than I love, therefore I am. It's a reception of love. This begins a work of change that moves us forward. And, and we've all experienced this to some degree. And we can really simplify it. We can look at it from a really basic moments. For some in the room, you love dogs. I'm, I'm so-so. I, I think dogs are cool. They're better than cats. I love, you, but you really love dogs. You encounter a dog and you see this person, like my brother-in-law is like this. We're walking. It's a nothing day, but he sees a dog and the guy is lights up. It's like the world is being made new every single time he sees a puppy. He, he runs over. He falls to the ground to this random dog that he's never seen before. And he is so full of life. It's as if he's encountering this love that's coming towards him. And all he can do is respond in this way. And it feels so silly and simplistic. But when we encounter love that really pierces our hearts, we can't help but respond with that love. And you, you maybe it is a dog. But you also do hope it's relationship. You hope it's family. You hope it's a church community that's providing the sense of love that's beginning to shape you from the inside out. That's provoking this response, this transformation, this change within you. And maybe it's momentary, but it's a glimpse of what God wants for you. That abundance of love, of joy, of the very being of who you are to come to the forefront without insecurity, without pause, without caution. It just comes. Like I'm embarrassed for him on the ground, but he doesn't care. It's like I just, I'm so excited about my, this, this dog, this response 
It's so opposite of the way we've been conditioned. But I would contend it is the most truly human response that we are invited to discover. Where our insecurities, our cautions, our, our, our conditioning is not the barriers and the foundation by which we respond in our life. When the Bible speaks of identity and speaks about this response of our being, this, this response of our being can be even articulated as purpose. It sums a lot of it up in what it means to be human in this rather odd-sounding technical phrase called the royal priesthood. Within the ancient world, priests and kings were the crucial mediators between the divine and the human. And he write, he notes that in the book of Genesis, the idea of this hierarchy of access for these very few people in a society who mediate between God and the world is democratized. It becomes available to everyone. And all of humanity are to be people who stand at the convergence of heaven and earth. This is talking about that, the space of Eden, this convergence of heaven and earth. Jesus claimed to be both the place and the person in whom heaven and earth are one. And Jesus as the truly human one, Jesus as the royal priest, provides the purpose of our humanity. To be priests. As it was in the beginning. And the phrase, uh, it, it maybe doesn't immediately capture our imagination. It feels grand, it feels like an idea that's biblical, what does that have to do with my nine-to-five on a day-to-day -day basis? What does it actually look like then? If my purpose is a priestly one, what does that actually look like to live that out in my life? One of the questions that we encounter on a day-to-day -day basis is what is my purpose? Whether you're talking to someone else, you're experiencing it for yourself— and if you're a follower of Jesus, perhaps you've even asked the question, what am I supposed to do while I'm waiting before I get to heaven? And the response of Scripture over and over again is that those who belong to Jesus are now to be rulers and priests serving God. Or simply as we've said, our purpose is being a royal priest. We have a priestly purpose. This is being what we have been created to be. This is what it means to be truly human. And this is the goal of all humans. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. We want to talk about it this morning because this is not just an idea to put on my door that I'm a priest and that's really cool and maybe I can wear a, a shawl every once in a while to show it off. It's actually meant to be imbued with purpose for our very existence. We are to be seeking to be in tune with God and to reflect God to others. Uh, right, he continues on and he says that humans are in many ways midway creatures. Reflecting God into the world and reflecting the world back to God. The, the role of a priest is really important to understand in the Bible. To understand our role and our purpose in the here and now. In Genesis 1 and 2, God ordains Adam and Eve as priests in the Garden of Eden, as in priests in his cosmic temple. In Genesis 2 verse 15, he says, And Yahweh, God, takes the man and causes him to rest in the Garden of Eden to serve it and to keep it. I want you to pay close attention to the, the end phrase, to serve and to keep. 
because the Hebrew word shamar means to serve and to keep. And it's used in the Bible to reference a priestly service of worship. To serve and to keep. Those verbs that are used here in the Genesis text are phrases and descriptions that are used again throughout the Bible when talking about priests. Numbers 18 verse 7 says, But you and your sons with you shall shamar, shall serve and keep to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar. I'm giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service. John Walton, he says that the tasks given to Adam are of priestly nature, caring for a sacred space. In ancient thinking, caring for a sacred space was a way of upholding creation. By preserving order, non-order was held at bay. And the point of caring for sacred space should be seen as much more than landscaping or even priestly duties, but maintaining order made one a participant with God. All this to say, we're going to talk about these three, three ideas of what it means to be priests. We are foundationally from the very beginning, human is purposed with, humanity is purposed with priesthood. And now through Jesus, we are invited to rediscover that identity. And like I said, I, I know that the language of priests and priesthoods come with different connotations in our modern understanding. And they can be high and lofty. lofty. Stay with me. It is meant to actually provide language for you to understand purpose. And that's something we all long for. Adam and Eve took on priestly roles in the garden. And as the biblical story continued, Abraham, he's not called a priest, but he often built altars and sacrifices to God, which was a priestly duty. Moses continues, and of course he wasn't a priest, but he had a priestly duty of communing God's word to the people. Then Moses' brother Aaron becomes the first high priest, and he becomes the one to provide cleansing of the tabernacle as well as the cleansing of the people. He engaged in rituals that provided an opportunity for the people to have offerings and sacrifices before God. And he represented the Israelites before them, making sacrifices for the people. And a lot of the language that we see in the Bible seems to point to a specific group of people who would be priests. And it would make us put them in a hierarchy or a separation of people. However, there is a sense in all of it that all of Israel were called to be priests. In Exodus 19, verses 4 to 6, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And remember what Peter wrote in his letter in, in verse 9. He said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, wonderful light. All this to say... 
the first thing that we need to understand is that everyone who is a follower of Jesus, that when you make that commitment in your life, we are all priests. It's not separated to individuals. It's not, I have the microphone, therefore I'm the priest. It does not work like that. Within the new covenant, within the presentation of Jesus, there is a rediscovery of identity for his people that is meant to be purposeful in action. That you and I, we are all priests. And the thing that often holds us back to, from living into the purposes of priesthood are not God's invitation. It's not God's lacking gifts or power that is existing and prov provided to us. It is often the simple statement, who am I to be a priest? Who am I to hold such station or such a role? But here's the thing. It's what, it's what we see in every great sports movie. There's a moment within it in which they reach the mountaintop. Rudy scores the touchdown. Whatever it is, whatever your favorite sports movie is. There's a moment in which they reach the mountaintop and they think to, my, think to themselves, I've reached the pinnacle of what I was pursuing and this was always present within me. This is what I find. That true identity that is discovered is often simply identity that is revealed. And this is why I want to reinforce this point that we're all priests. When you follow Jesus, you might not feel like a priest. You might not feel qualified or worthy or able, but you are most certainly on the path to having the very priestly nature that exists within you be revealed. The role of a priest is this mediator between God and his people. This place where heaven and earth intersect. That is you. You are the place where the presence of God wants to dwell. And when the presence of God dwells within you, life is birthed out of you. So if you feel unqualified, know that the promises that were given to us at the moment of creation to be a royal priesthood, to be the ones who are the mediators of heaven, between heaven and earth, to be the place where the presence of God dwells, remain true. If you feel unqualified, you are qualified by the grace of Jesus. If you feel unworthy, know that you are the animated and personal image of God. If you feel unable, be, be reassured, you are not given role without power. He does not simply tap a, a label on us and say, hey, you're a priest, get to it, figure it out. You'll get to there eventually. He imbues us with power and potential and opportunity to live in the spirit that is in us, in the world around us. Here's the thing. Priestly purpose lives within you. We're all priests and priestly purpose lives within us. The role isn't given without power. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes... In Christ's incarnation, all of humanity regains the dignity of bearing the image of God. Whoever from now on attacks the least of the people attacks Christ. 
who took on human form and who in himself has restored the image of God for all who bear a human countenance. Do you hear what he's saying? We are to understand that the human condition has been revealed due to the saving work of Christ. And this remaking, this revealing of humanity does not demand human response. It simply is all of humanity is imbued with the image of God within them. This is the way that we have been designed. When we talk about our identity being as children of God, this purpose that exists within us, it's not meant to simply, simply be placed upon you when you get to a certain level of Christianity. It is something that is inherently within you and you have been purposed with power to move towards it. It's not as if there's a group of human beings that are now elevated in status over others because they believe in Christ while others don't. This approach to Christ's restoration of the image of God in humanity does important theological and ethical work. It is linked to this indicative of what God has done in Christ for all of humanity. And it's this, that every human being is an object of God's redemptive and potentially transformative love in Jesus Christ. <coughs> human life is dignified not just because of what it once was or what it should be, but because of what God has done in Jesus. The church and Christians are not a different status before God. <coughs> As if, <coughs> I apologize. As if only those who are in the church are making enough moral progress in conforming to the image of Christ that they're viewed as worthy human beings. It's not the way it works. Hear me. You, the church, you, the priesthood, are instead the community that goes ahead of the rest of humanity seeing the realities that others do not yet see and therefore behaving accordingly. And then looking around and seeing the beauty of humanity in the image of God placed within them and inviting them into the story. Part of being a priest in our world is representation of God to his people. To see the very image of God that exists within you come to life in every space that you're in. You are invited to show and to demonstrate and to call out the identity of Christ that's in your very being. Christ came into the world to make us truly human. And when we look at human beings today in terms of what God has done for humanity in the incarnation, in the resurrection, in the crucifixion of Christ, we should respond with awesome wonder. And treat everyone with dignity and respect. Because this is what Jesus did. And it's what we should have been doing all along. But it doesn't just end there either. We invite them into the story of God that we've seen transform our own lives. Our priesthood has a purpose. Our priests have a purpose. And this is perhaps the point that really captured my heart. 
Jesus as the truly human one is the fulfillment of all that we are unable to bear, including the priestly role. The role is quite clear. To represent God to the people and the people to God. And we're invited to be the royal priesthood and we are gifted with great purpose. Priests have purpose. What is that purpose? What is the purpose of a priest? It is sacrifice. Hebrews 13, verses 15 to 16 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your true and proper service of worship. Paul here, he depicts Jesus' followers as a body composed of individuals that are all as the royal priesthood together offering themselves as a sacrifice to God's will just as Jesus did on the cross. Your priestly purpose is sacrifice. And that sits at the foundation, but it comes to life in far more indicative ways. There are a number of ways in which we see sacrifice actually come to be. What does it look like? What counts as sacrifice according to Paul? Well, the first one that comes up over and over again is the idea of unity. Followers of Jesus are invited to do this, to sacrifice, by starting by laying down their preferences so they can avoid being divided along the same lines as the rest of humanity, and we are awful at this. This is an area of sacrifice that we are often not unwilling to engage in. We choose our preferences as our priority rather than a unity. And we look to the way that a situation or a circumstance makes us feel rather than to our identity as followers of Jesus and as priests meant to represent Christ in our world. But if sacrifice is the purpose by which we are living our lives, unity should be a natural outflow of that. The verses following in Romans 12 are Paul's instructions to the people for how to live in unity. And here's the thing, the integrity of Jesus' mission on earth depends on his followers' willingness to live in unity and fulfilling his will. Have you noticed how quickly the way of Jesus is ignored by the world when the people of God bicker? How it seems to upend the truth, the beauty, the compassion, and the graciousness of the message of Jesus because the people of God have chosen their preference as the hill on which they will stand. Sacrifice sits at the foundation of each of our purpose. Not simply as a good idea, but as a manner in which we follow Jesus to the cross. He says, your will be done. Your kingdom come. He was sacrificing his very being to adopt God's. And he's inviting us to do the same. 
when the disciples received the Holy Spirit, God's heavenly temple presence transfers to this group of people who are considered to be his temple. You and I, his temple. And one of the defining characteristics of this new temple is that it brings Jews and non-Jews together in one unified family in a way that no one else or nothing else ever can. This picture in Scripture of unity of the Jew and the non-Jew is not meant to be some ancient Near East idea that stays in the past. It is the people that you would consider to be opposite and different and separate and far away from you. You are meant to be unified in, with them by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. It requires sacrifice. And it sits at the center of our purpose. Sacrifice also leads to worship. And we're going to talk about this more in a few weeks We'll have Jeremy really break this down for us. But the idea of worship being sacrificed is giving up our current focus. Worship is meant to turn our eyes upward rather than inward. And everything that we do in our existence in, in, in this world today is often looking at me. What's happening to me? Why am I feeling this way? Everything is inward and worship is a sacrifice of that perspective. And to turn our eyes upward that's part of our expression as priests. The, the, the next idea is the one of representation. But representation can actually be more biblically articulated as holiness. This is God's transformation taking place within you. This is God's transformation of a renewed humanity. That I'm going to give up my old ways. I'm going to give up the things that seem to be the way in which I want to walk and I want to live. And I'm going to actually adopt the way of Jesus. I'm going to adopt his way into my story. And out of that place of holiness, my representation comes naturally out of it. Sacrifice leads to representation. My words, my actions, my, my hopes, my dreams, all of it declares to all who don't know Jesus that he is God and he has changed my life. This is what sacrifice does within us. And sacrifice leads to intercession. And maybe even intercession can be just more simply stated in a biblical manner as love. That I'm going to look towards another who is hurting and struggling. And I'm going to intercede on their behalf. I'm going to go before God. I'm going to pray for them, believing for breakthrough in their life. Because I'm going to sacrifice my thoughts. I'm going to sacrifice my time, my attention. And I'm going to place it upon the struggle of another, going before God as the priest would. Sacrifice sits at the foundation, intercession, and love is often a manifestation of it. And then finally, it leads us to this place of mission. That my zeal for life is not simply for my own ways, but it's for the kingdom that would come. It's for the will of God to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's to see the blessing of the people around me, the blessing of the kingdom. We need to be a people who actually live on mission, but we cannot live on mission if we do not make sacrifice part of our foundation. Purpose-filled people who follow Jesus are living a life of sacrifice. And when God's people 
fail in their responsibilities as priests. Jesus, he, he fills the gap and he invites us to come again. And he does all those things. He unifies us. He intercedes for us. He's on mission to bless us. He brings us into that space of the Holy of Holies by the Spirit that lives within us. And He invites us to have relationship in that place of worship. And He transforms us from the inside out. In every space where we fall short, Jesus begins to do the work of sacrifice as if to show us, you have made, you have made this harder than it should be. You've missed the mark. You've, you've fallen away. You've fallen your, gone down your own path. But my path is one of sacrifice. Let me show you what it looks like and the life that comes out of it. When Jesus enters the world and begins his ministry, there is a significant shift that takes place. We see that God has always and will always look like Jesus. Gracious and intimate. We see that love has always been the posture of the divine, meant for relationship. And we see that humanity carries the image and purposes of God, full of meaning in all that we do. Worship team, you can join me at the front. When it comes to sacrifice, when it comes to this priestly purpose that we hold as followers of Jesus, the question that I want you to consider today and in this week ahead is, are you living a life of sacrifice? And if you can say, I, I'm not sure, are you willing to live a life with sacrifice? To live like Jesus is to be fully human. And to live like Jesus is to live a life of sacrifice. Of our personal preference. Of our individual comfort. Of our public reputation. Of our clamoring for control. And of a purpose that is often self-serving and rather adopting his purpose. Purpose can feel so dramatic, but how often do we say those words, love God, love people? I think we forget sometimes, love is sacrifice. It's a willingness to give our being for another. When love is truly present, we see that sacrifice is the response the relationship of a parent to their child. Where love seems to just be. How quickly sacrifice, when healthy, comes to the forefront. And this is the response of heaven to you. Remember what we said at the very beginning. I love because I am loved. God leads the way. He shows what it is to be that royal priest. And then he invites us into that story. He shows us what love really is, that it is sacrifice. And then he asks us, are you willing to follow me? So this week, not asking you to do like a full autopsy of your life and somehow shred it to pieces. 
but maybe we can start with one thing. What is one thing that you are holding on to for dear life as if it is everything to you that you could maybe give up to God? A preference, a, a specific plan, the way that you feel about someone else. Inviting the Holy Spirit to begin to transform your heart. So that the response of your life can be centered around that purpose of the priest. To represent God to our world. Your purpose is greater than you think it is. You are imbued with power to accomplish that very purpose. And it's not something he has to put within you. It's something that he wants to reveal within you. Let's pray together. So Father, we, we need you. Thank you that you showed us what it looks like to live a life of sacrifice. Thank you that you showed us what this priestly purpose is that we have. As your children, we're invited to be in this royal priesthood. To be a people that live sacrificial lives, our whole being. A living sacrifice for you. So today we, we, we just ask that you would give us eyes to see the things that we are holding on to instead of you. Our ideas and our thoughts, our relationships and our plans, our, our pains and our sins and our traumas that have sat behind us that we are holding as our identity. We just declare, Jesus, that there would be a breakthrough in this place, in the hearts and minds of each person here, that they might know that they're a child of God, invited into the priesthood with the purpose of sacrifice for the representation of you to this world in a way that's beyond our understanding. Thank you that our purpose is greater than, our, than what we think it is. Thank you that in all the ways we might disqualify ourselves or push ourselves away or think that we aren't called for anything of value, that you see us as you have designed us. You see the purpose and the potential and the power placed within your people. We just declare, Jesus, let this morning be a moment where that might be revealed and there be a revelation of that within each of us. That we might actually see a glimpse of the person that you, that you see in us. And as your people, we might come together with great purpose of sacrifice to be change in this world. As hard as change is, as, as difficult as it, as it is, we just pray, Jesus, that it would begin in us. Thank you that you showed us what sacrifice is. That on that cross 2,000 years ago, you willingly gave yourself to us. And death didn't get the final word. Thank you that you changed the definition of sacrifice as a place where life there.
so we renew our imagination for sacrifice. Yeah, the Spirit just, there are places in our life where we are looking for a new beginning. We're looking for a renewal. We're looking for a change. We're looking for new life in it. I pray that you would give us an imagination for sacrifice that would actually be the spark of new life that would come by the power of the Holy Spirit. For those in the room that are longing for new relation, for, for newness in a relationship, maybe that's a sacrifice of, of forgiveness. A willingness to say, I forgive that person. Jesus breathed new life into them. Thank you that our, your imagination for us and for our lives is greater than our own. Help us to capture that for ourselves today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.